0: do your
1: eyes, it's only
0: Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
2: The season 19 episode 20 powered by huddle analysis offering the largest data and video library of players teams and leagues worldwide uh, as well as junior prospect hockey league western canada's news developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at juniorprospecthockeyleague.com brad and i are going to talk about the 2024 nhl draft and some draft eligible players in the next two segments. And Brad, uh, right off the hop, I know you want to talk about uh, Merrick Vaneker. Thoughts on him. Obviously, Brandon, uh, Branford Bulldogs, OHL player. Stats in terms of the time we're taping is, is 61 points in 51 games, which is very, very good. You know, left winger, six foot, about 175 pounds. So thoughts on him on his season thus far. And then what you're thinking of as he moves forward towards the draft.
3: Yeah. He falls in the, the category with a lot of the other oil chillers where it took them a bit of time to get going and find their identity and, and start playing to it. But uh, in Vanneker's case, we, we have him top 32, which is uh, I believe the most aggressive out of anybody in the industry right now, at least publicly. And I, we love him. I love him. I, the thing with Vanneker is he plays a very similar game to one of the top prospects in the draft class, who also happens to be my favorite, Prospect in this class, and that's Igor Shurnashov out of Dynamo system. Uh, he's basically a worse skating, harder shooting version of Shurnashov, uh, which is a heck of a player. He's he's what that means essentially is that he is a dual threat power forward who does everything on the ice and is already very well rounded and has attention to detail, knows how to support, knows how to defend relatively well. Both have been used on the penalty kill, uh, and there's just there's a whole lot to like. And there's at least top nine upside there. And I, I really think the Vanneker is, as of right now, one of the most underrated players in the OHL, but we don't think so. You know, we have him top 32 for a reason. We think he belongs there. So we we think we think Vaneker and, and some of these I we think he's right there essentially with a couple of these other kids like Beckett Seneca, like Jet Lachenko, who we we've aggressively ranked uh, in previous rankings before the top prospect's game.
2: And he doesn't turn 18 until April. And we talked about how young this draft class is. So a team that drafts him certainly is going to have to give him those two more years on the in the Ontario Hockey League before he turns pro or potentially moves on to you know a different level of hockey because that part of his game is he's going to have to have that physical maturation to match the other attributes that he has because we know that the American Hockey League is very much a, a grinding league and it can chew up kids if they're not physically ready for that really messes with their confidence. But I certainly see where what you see in terms of him as a player from that standpoint. So really intrigued with him. Let's talk about another player in Miguel Mar- Marquez. Now another kid, now he'll turn 18 pretty soon, March uh, as well. You look at him out of Lethbridge, you know, he had a, you know, reasonably decent rookie season. And this year, he really started to hit his stride. And we we generally see that. That second year, particularly after Christmas, you really start to see the player and all the different attributes they have sort of round into form that way. Is that what you saw with uh, Marquez as well?
3: Well, yeah, Marquez, the, the thing with Marquez is he's very talented. Like, talent-wise, you're talking about an A-rated prospect. Uh, also skates relatively well you know for a size he skates well there's some kids in this draft you, you look at tanner how for instance that's the debate is can the skating plus the frame and size can it really hold at the nhl level when you look yeah. at the long term with marquez marquez is is a slightly bigger but also skates better He's a more powerful skater more efficient better mechanics so when when you look at marquez there's there's some real upside i i uh I will say something that's probably would be considered very controversial, but I don't think it is. And, and that's M- Miguel Bar- Marquez's playmaking ability. A pound for pound is right there, if not better, than Berkeley Cat. You know, I think Berkeley Catton's a bit overrated in this class so far, honestly, and I think his playmaking is a part of that issue with with Catton. He's not um, as efficient as I would like him to be. Uh, where Marquez has shown unbelievable playmaking, very dynamic playmaker at times, and it goes back to what we talk about with processing ability. This kid can process information very quickly on the ice, very rapid processor. So uh, with Marquez, it it comes down to uh, the same issue that we'll talk about a bit in a bit here with Luca Misa, where it's there's, there's too much of a one-dimensional game to him. He uses his speed, uses his playmaking, and that's what he is, right? Uh, he needs to add a secondary skill set there. He needs to start developing something. I, will it be this year? Probably not, but it will be very interesting to see where he goes in the draft. I feel he's a pretty polarizing player, both publicly and behind the scenes. Uh, so it will be very, very interesting. But he's he's been dominant in recent, uh, in recent months, especially the last two months. So I, I look really forward to seeing what he's capable of doing. And he, he's one of those kids too, where he'll have two bad periods for you, almost like Liam Green Tree. He'll have two bad periods for you. You're waiting for something, you're waiting for something. You're like, ah, oh, it's not really, not really do much. And then he'll just completely dominate a period. And you're like, oh, that, that's why. <laughs> that's why we're watching this kid. That's why we're ranking this kid. Right. Um, so he has a bit of that in his system right now. Um, that's I mean, that's most players. So uh, very interesting prospect.
2: Yeah, it's once again when you look at a player, particularly one that has a really high level of playmaking and building and can process once they realize that, and it's usually, if it does come down to it, it's incorporating the shot, understanding that you can drive defenders back that you can create time and space because you're, they, they know you're a playmaker. And then all of a sudden seams open up and just take advantage of that. And And sometimes you get caught in your habits because when things are happening fast, you always like fall to what you're best at and you don't, the other aspects of your game don't always come through. And that's just a matter of layering that into their habits from that standpoint. So I'm curious, I agree. I'm curious to see what, which one of these other areas he adds to his arsenal that is legitimately dangerous. And I think he could, the shot would be the most advantageous to us, but I mean, you know, defense and other areas of his game will come along, but I'm curious to see if that part of his game next year really starts to evolve in that respect so as well, I want to get your thoughts on Lucas Peterson. So sentiment, Swede, thoughts on him, because this is going to be an interesting year for the Swedes overall. He's primarily all, played all J20 this year in moto. Um, he's got a few games in SHL, but at this age, it's really a cup of coffee to sort of see how he adapts. And he's another young guy too. He's not, he's not turned, doesn't turn 18 until April. Not a lot of guys this year, you know, like late birthdays or January, February birthday. So let's talk about him as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It goes back to what we said. This is the youngest class I can ever remember. It's, it is yeah. truly mind-blowing how young this class is. It's kind of scary as a scout, to be honest with you, because it's really hard to, uh, to project a player that's that's much that much younger. Um, yeah, Pedersen. So Pedersen uh, is one of those players that is the, the prototype of what NHL teams look for. Swiss Army Knife. Does everything extremely well rounded? Already plays a mature game. Already, he's gotten a cup of coffee with SHL now with in Moto system. Uh, there there is almost nothing to dislike about this kid. He already knows how to defend better than some of the top defenders in this class. The only difference is the upside when it comes to defensive position. For uh, say Zane Perrick, this kid defends better than Zane Perrick. I don't even think it's close, but you know, obviously Zane's upside is is tremendous. But uh, Lucas Pedersen is one of those kids. That can adapt, do everything for you on a line, and then not only like merge with his line mates and be what they need to be, but just make his teammates better, both off and on the puck. And so really the only downfall of this player, when you look at it from a ranking perspective, is what you think the ceiling truly is. Does he hit the second line? Is he more of a middle six? Uh, you know, top nine. Is he a third liner? Is, is that you're right? Where does he actually fall into place? Uh, I think, obviously, a lot of it is dependent on t- on what team he falls into and what they have available uh, for him to play with. But uh, he, I, for me, I think he has one of the highest floors in the draft. I will be very surprised if he doesn't play meaningful minutes in the NHL and don't underestimate what that means to a team on draft day. I wouldn't be shocked at all if he's a first rounder because the risk is basically uh, d- diminished as a result of his skill set, And, and believe me, NHL teams, you, you know, you know, you know, the shame NHL teams really, really care about risk for a reason. You want your player to play if you're going to draft them. Um, so I, I really think that Lucas Peterson has a chance to be that sneaky first round selection. If he's not, he's guaranteed gone in the second round. I'd be very surprised if he's not gone in the second round.
2: Well, it's something that you had said, and I find it interesting when people comment and say, just swing for the fences. Well, if you constantly swing for the fences on a low, like a high, you know, high skill set, but low percentage chance of player playing, you keep swinging and you strike out, you do that for two years, you're going to get fired. Like you're going to, like, and we've seen teams end up doing that and it doesn't come for a wish. You don't see the end result for a few years down the road, but it can cripple your team. And when we talk about, oh, he's only going to be a third player, third line player. That's a third line player in the best league in the world, especially one who has some flexibility to slide up and down your lineup and has some versatility to play, you know, in like in the middle or on either wing, like that's so valuable to coaches. I think sometimes that doesn't get as much weighted value outside of the NHL amongst the independent and the public sphere as I think it really should and I think that's something that, you know, you and I try to talk about is that management of risk and risk and reward. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned. We'll talk more about the 2024 draft right after this.
4: Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But altogether, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat
0: You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
2: We're back and powered by huddle analysis, offering alert data and video library, of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Brad and I are still talking about the 2024 draft and some prospects we really haven't had a chance to talk about publicly. So let's talk about Kieran Walton from Sudbury. Thoughts on him? Because big strapping kid, like 6'5", well over 200 pounds. I don't know what they feed that kid, but he's going to be a monster when he finishes filling out. Thoughts on him as like sort of overall playing style, what you've seen from this year, what potentially could be project from him moving forward from that standpoint?
3: So this kid for me, is like the dark horse right now. This kid has so much potential. He reminds me a bit of a—I can't believe I'm saying shorter—a shorter version of Elmer Soderbloom. and he's better than Soderbloom at the same age. So, when when you look at a kid this big, six five, from a scouting the scouting senses tingling perspective, like when we got those senses going as scouts, it's when you see that on paper, you think, okay, probably lacks coordination probably a very slow skater or has something within his mechanics that are very awkward because of his frame, right? Probably is really lacking when it comes to the handling department or something is not there and he doesn't know how to operate, right? That that's usually how it goes when you have a kid this big, this young. Instead, you have a prospect who can already skate relatively well, gets off his center line very well, has fantastic hands and has already learned how to make passing plays in advanced level. So there is so much there already. Uh, now, he's not getting a ton of minutes some nights, uh, especially recently. He's only after seven, eight minutes a night. He's had some difficulties. But but the raw talent and what some of the plays I've seen him make are very reminiscent of Soderbloom in his draft season. And they were the exact same plays that gave me pause and go, oh, wait now. What if this kid is just beginning? To, to to become what he might become in the future yeah. and, and that's that's the tricky thing about scouting in general is, is this the beginning of the product middle phase of the product end of the product right is the kid already peaked has he not even come close to peaking with this kid i think it's very very safe to assume there is a whole lot more runway to work with and he's one of those kids when you look back in five years he might be one of those kids you go why wasn't he drafted way higher Right. Uh, He is a fascinating, fascinating player. The big thing for me is when it comes to a really big toolsy kid like this, usually the ones that make it to the ones that don't. It it really comes down to their sense for the game and their obviously their commitment and a ton of other things. But the the sense on this kid, his vision and his ability to tempo control and slow down his play when he needs to and find his trailing options and find his weak side options and end up making beautiful lateral passes in tight to that. That's all there. That's already all there. And so for me, there's not as much risk that's presented in this prospect that you would normally have with a player like a Soderblom or a Tage Thompson, right? Uh, I'll bring up Tage Thompson for one reason too is he's kind of the opposite of Tage Thompson in the the sense that this kid, from a power play perspective, he doesn't have a one time the the, elasticity in his core. Every we, we talk about coordination when it comes to his wheelhouse, he still has trouble operating within it for now, right? If that can come. Then he's going to be extremely dangerous because he's already unbelievably dangerous and even strength with his handling, cutting to the net, playmaking. You know, that that's another thing is you you look at a kid who's six five, you want them to play a certain way. Use your frame. He already protects the puck, not just with his hands, but with his frame. He one-arms players. He strongman's players off the puck. He shields with his back. So the frame is already getting used. He already drives inside. He already goes from outside to inside using his, his combination of hands and frame to cut through hands on defensemen, get to the interior of the rink. So tremendous upside. And I am so interested to see where he goes in this class. I, I really think, uh, for our listeners, he's one of the wild cards uh maybe – Write his name down if you're really interested in draft stuff and, and, and try to remember where he goes because he's one to really watch. I think he, he has tremendous upsides. Very, very interesting prospect. Very untapped.
2: Let's talk about Michael Misa. Thoughts on him and his season so far in Saginaw, because I think it was pretty much he just picked up where he left off. And then it was you're asking yourself, because last year he had 56 points and 45 games. Points aren't everything, but you know, eight and eight and eleven games and in the playoffs. So, you know, you try not to walk into a situation with expectations because expectations, like they're your expectations. Right. And then you just got to let the player see what happens and he plays from your perspective, you know, coming into this season and seeing what he did last year, what have you liked?
3: Yeah. Well, the, the thing with this kid is he's, he's not very tall. And usually with players who aren't all like the opposite of Karen Walton, right? Is when you have a kid who's already a bit shorter, he's going to be fully coordinated. He's already going to be growing into his frame at a higher rate. And because of that, he's going to be producing more at the level that you expect, right? The, of some of these players at the OHL level. So uh with Misa, uh, you know, byproduct of of, of uh Mississauga, the, the thing with him is when you look at the skating base, he's extremely impressive for his size, fleet mm-hmm. of foot. Very nimble, very coordinated, and explosive. It's it's not uh, so different um uh th- than than what you see in, in a player like Johnny Gaudreau. Uh, the difference would be probably the edge work. Uh, I would say Johnny Hockey's edge work is is a bit better at this stage in his development. When you look at Johnny Hockey in his initial draft season, but amici uses his speed to create with his playmaking, uh and, and it is one of those situations where he gets away with a lot of perimeter stuff because he can just blow by defensemen and go and cut around the net area and find his options. I wouldn't mind seeing him develop uh, more of an inside game over time here, more of an east-west game at times. He's very north-south. I wouldn't mind a bit more east-west so that he can find his his trailing options uh, in, in a different way than he currently does on most shifts. Uh, but he, he's, um, he's also one of those players that I think publicly is going to get uh, ranked a little too high uh just because of the uh the speed and skill combination where at the nhl level when you when you talk to nhl scouts executives you know it, it, they're more wary of players with this type of build because for every johnny hockey there's 10 that don't play heck more than that 20 that don't play make yeah. so in order for him to be um one of those players that does he's gonna have to 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 get very comfortable taking contact uh he's slippery but he's not he's not a player that the uh, I wouldn't say he's a player that invites contact. I think he's going to have to be one that that starts to understand that that has to become part of his game because when you look at him from a center position, he excels. But when he's a winger, he's had some struggles. And for me, because of his size, he has to prepare to potentially play an initial game on the wing as opposed to center. And and that's going to be the next stage of his development. So I I feel like a team that takes him, if they take him higher, it's going to be because they're comfortable with the idea that he can develop on the wing as opposed to center
2: let's talk about jacob pataglia out of kingston thoughts on this kid as well six foot physically developed already at 205 pounds so that's there that doesn't mean he's not going to get his man strength of course he is and become much more coordinated but thoughts on him Oh, that was a nice progression from his rookie year last year to this year you know and he's and he's at that po- point of game in the OHL, which is good. I mean, depending on ice time and line mates and strength of competition, all that factors in that as well. But thoughts on him overall?
3: This is this is right there with Walton for me, where it's one of the dark horses. So it, it, he's on King Safran next. He's not so different from a stylistic perspective, Jason Robertson. And now don't get me wrong, talent-wise, is he as talented as Jason Robertson? Not. No, specifically with the shooting ability. He's not there. but the way he handles a puck, the way he protects the puck with his frame, the way he thinks the game, and, and the handling and playmaking ability, very similar. Uh, he's shorter, but not by much. He's got a good, thick frame. It, it's one of those frames, too. It reminds me a little bit of Shane of Jacob Fowler, where it's it's not muscle quality yet, right? He's gonna The kid's going to have to put work in the gym. Uh, and, and you see it on the ice because when he tries to get off his center line, it's a struggle, right? It's not, it's Tyson Forster, uh, uh type of situation where he's very slow out of the gate, different reason Tyson Forster had difficulty, he, his ankles, uh, he has something called ankle in- inversion, which, which made it very difficult to push off in a straight line where this kid, he's just heavy set, right? So it's one of those situations where he's just going to have to get physically more fit so he can get off his center line faster and generate speed quicker. But I bring that up because once he gets out of those three, four steps, His speed is fine. The A to B is fine. It's not the prettiest thing you'll ever watch, but it's fine. And when you take that in consideration, the rest is very interesting. He's very competitive. He has driving instincts. Again, he he had, plays one of those heavy download type of games. He's one of those uh, types of players that when you when you look at him, he's he's almost like a merger of Mark Stone meets Tyson Forster meets Jason Robertson. And if he can end up in anything like those three players oh, I, got- I just mentioned, then yeah. then you got something pretty interesting on your hands. He, he's the, the reason I bring up Walton and him is because when you look at the the untapped potential and you look at the upside of the physical dimension of their game. Um, uh, increases over time, if they manage to develop correctly physically, then you're left with a heck of a prospect. You might end up with a little bit uh, later in the draft because they're not already polished so very very interesting you know it's funny the OHL when we first saw it I remember talking to Mark Edwards about this we're like where are the players like what are we going to do here you know it was very early in the season these kids are super young and it goes back to what we talk about you have to be very patient as a scout give kids their due let them let them cook let them find their games let them get comfortable let them get confident and uh what we're seeing now with Battaglia Walton are very very intriguing prospects the O always a lot deeper Uh, than I think some people give it credit for. The O actually has a lot of talent this year. It's just very unique talent.
2: Well, we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect. Ready? we come back, we'll continue our prospect focus right after these important messages.
4: Every play, every stat, every breakdown, on their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable
0: Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
2: It's Hockey Prospect Radio brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting. Through an integrated series of best business practices, they design solutions for hockey operations and hockey business operations. Happy to bring on Jason Buchler from the Pro Hockey Group and Sportsnet. We're going to talk about the 2024 draft as well. So let's talk about some high-end forwards that, We're not sure at this time where they're going to be drafted, but certainly I expect all three of these guys to be drafted in the first round, right off the top, Ivan Debendoff, thoughts on him. Books from, you know, the beginning of the season as he's progressed past Christmas, I always find like the advantage for him is because he was a late birthday. And, you know, both Brad and I talked about, this is such a really young draft. A lot of the players are April, May, born or later. And he has yeah. the advantage of of having that extra time. Has that time, do you think, helped him? And also the fact that, you know, he's playing against, you know, in many cases, men, um, and can play against men even at a young age. It He's been pretty impre- impressive so far this season.
7: Yeah, he's been great. I mean, he, he suffered a setback, right, in the fall when he's playing in the KHL. Um, for Scott, he had suffered a knee injury that uh, he missed uh, some significant time, but He's come back uh, healthy, and they've uh, actually, uh, in recent weeks, he's been playing at the MHL level, which is, as you know, Russia's version of the um, of major junior hockey over there, if, if you want to call it that. Um, it kind of goes, well, it does go KHL, VHL, which is like their second division, and then, uh, you know, these kids that are playing in the MHL. Anyways, uh, 23 games played, 45 points at the MHL level. He's just uh, he's been on a heater. I mean, there was a 10 game segment there where he was, I think he scored 22 points in 10 games and he was like plus 22 over the same period of time. So elite offensive talents, uh, you know, he plays uh, bigger than his list size. And what I mean by that is that he takes pucks to the net off the rush. He goes to the middle of the ice, makes plays, uh, exceptional release. This kid's uh, this kid does it all uh, in transition, off the rush, off the flank, you name it. They run a lot of set plays through him, where he kind of cycles off the half wall and ends up in the middle of the ice, and one time is pucks. So, uh, pure offense. Um, like him a lot, like his engine, and he's on the uptick. I mean, the Celebrini kid just doesn't slow down, uh, <laughs> which is just the reality of it. Uh, so he's not going to catch him. But for me, Demidov is uh, solid in the in the two hole for me right now.
3: Jason, talent wise, where would you rank him pound for pound in this draft?
7: Uh, well, he's absolutely the second most talented player in the draft for me. There's, there's no question about it. Uh, you know, he's just, uh, you know, last year Mitchkov got a lot of love and a lot of momentum. Um, this guy for me plays the game with more detail um, than Mitchkov does. Mitchkov has a little bit of that uh, offensive cheating in him sometimes. Uh, when he's on, he's on. He's fantastic. We all know that. But this guy here, he, uh, he plays with more complete compete. And he goes to get pucks first uh, to extend plays, even at the KHL level.
2: Jason, do you think that that makes his floor just that much more palatable to NHL teams when you're going to take somebody in the top three? Because you can go on pure talent. But if that floor is high, really high too. And it's, it's just kind of like a safety net for NHL teams.
7: Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, so that's that's absolutely how I'm thinking on it. Like, his floor is so high that, at worst, he's a two-and-a-half because he plays the game the right way. He's not just offense. Like, he'll track for you, too. Like, he'll play up and down the ice. Uh, but this is a top six forward at the NHL down the road, uh, in my estimation. So high floor, exceptionally high ceiling. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Let's talk about TJ Ginla.
2: Watching him, I just – see playoff player. I'd yeah. like I'm not even concerned about who's playing or when when it is every time he steps on the ice, it's like he's in a playoff game. And those are the kind of but we talk about the floor. This guy may have of all the like other all the forwards other than Celebrini have the best floor to for me because he's a guy who I think can adapt in the playoffs when things get rough. And it's not going to phase him what one iota. So I don't think he's going to have that drop off of production, whether it, he has the puck or he doesn't. And I'm talking about production away from the puck as well. I, I think in terms of a forward, he's obviously not as flashy as Ivan, but there's a lot of substance in his game that I appreciate.
7: Yeah, I agree. I mean, he bleeds character. Um, my my colleague, Sam Cosentino, and I had a chance to interview him there at the uh, top prospects game the uh, that you're at as well there, Shane. And, uh, you know, he's he's riding a wave of momentum. There's no doubt about that, but it's it's something that he's earned. You know, it's not been given. And, you know, the last name could have potentially given him a little bit more runway than other prospects, if you will. And that's exactly the opposite for, for Teach. Um Goal score, I think he's going to eclipse 50 goals here in the WHL, which his dad didn't do in his draft year, so puts it in a little bit of perspective. Now listen, let's let's be realistic is his dad was obviously a, an exceptional player, um but this guy here he makes people around him better. Like and he's super smart. So when when plays break down in transition for example, uh instead of just rifling it in to a corner and maybe having to engage 1 versus 2 on the forecheck, he puts pucks in areas where other his linemates mates can see skate onto it for one-on-one battles or they can go find it in, in open space. Um if he's the guy that's got to chip it to himself because things break down, uh he's plenty heavy hard enough to go down there and and you know knock a guy off the puck and he's got great leverage. So um common, I'm not going to call him a power for it. I'm going to call him really sturdy uh exceptional release. Uh, I think he leads by example, Shane, to your point. Um and uh after talking with him and you know spending some time with him, you can just see how driven this kid is.
2: Let's talk about Cole Eisenman, uh, another top, you know, top skilled forward in this year's draft, because I think each one of these players has, it plays a different style, although they do produce offense just in some different ways. In terms of Eisenman, my thoughts on him is clearly he's a goal scorer, clearly he can score from a variety of different areas. But then my thoughts are, and it's not a negative, but I have to think about When he doesn't, when the puck doesn't hit his stick, what's he going to do for you? Away from the puck, or Mm -hmm. you know, when his linemates, when his linemates have the puck, you know, what is he doing to make help his team win other than scoring goals? Or is it just scoring goals, which is fine, right? Because that's such a it's a great thing to have, and very few every team is like scouring for it. But from your thoughts, like, are there other tools in the toolbox that'll end up becoming good at the NHL level.
7: I like how you position that because that's really what you need him to be, right? Is just average at everything else because his elite element obviously stands out. This kid absolutely rips pucks. He's a gifted goal scorer. You need to score goals to win games um, as I dummy down the conversation here, but he's a work in progress in the other areas that you're discussing. I mean, his off-the-puck detail, his offensive zone exits when when things break down for his group, um, he's starting to understand that he's got to He's got to have more jump to get back and involved and assist in the in the back check or at least be involved defensively as well and not arrive late. If you guys get my drift. Like, you know, he can't arrive late. He's got to arrive on time. Um, so he's, he's working harder at it. I see that he's working harder at it. He's not quite there. He needs to be coached up. And what I mean by that is that when he does get there, now he's got to identify what he actually has to do. Um, but he's never going to be anything better than average on the defensive side. That's just the way it is. Um, he's got a little bit more uh, interior game that I noticed. There last week at the Five Nations in Plymouth, I noticed that a little bit more. Um, but his element, Shane, is is pure goal scorer, pure shooter, and you're banking on that. Here's my here's my dilemma: Is he going to be Arthur Kaliev with the LA Kings when he's scoring, you love him? When he's not, you know, he's he's in the doghouse. Or is he going to you know take it to a level where? Um, like we drafted Owen Tippett in Florida back in the day, and it took Tippett some time to, to understand how to play. And he was an elite shooter, still is. Um, he might be a slow burn like that at the NHL level, but his element is uh, is absolutely goal scoring. So hopefully, he can elevate the average, average plus in the other areas.
3: When you contrast him to Owen Tippett, what were some of the differences and similarities to you uh, since since you did draft him? Do you see do you see a similar player there, or there are enough contrast there?
7: Well, when Tip uh, was engaged in the harder areas along the wall down low, it wasn't, you know, he obviously was a guy that, that kind of hovered and found ice in the slot area. But when Tip was engaged in those other areas, he's a heavier set guy. Like he's, Eisenman has weight, but Tip was like a, like, he, you know, he's a bull that way. Like he's hard to knock off a puck when he shields it down low, he's really sturdy. So there's a little bit of a difference there. And the other, the other thing I would say, Eisenman's plenty quick and he can play the game fast. But when Tip was up, up to speed, like when he loaded down low in his zone to attack off the rush on his own, like if he saw a lane all the way up the right or left flank, I mean, he was shot out of a cannon, and, and he had that extra gear. So there's a little bit of a difference that way.
2: Yeah, it's interesting to see how this is going to, as we get through the next two and a half months of what's left in the hockey season, see how that, if any pressure amps up on the players individually to see if there's any... You know, improvement in certain areas in their in, in game overall. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned. We'll continue with this discussion right after these messages.
4: Every play, every stat, every breakdown, on their own, they're essential, but altogether, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all in one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com hpr to learn
5: more.
0: Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
2: We're back on Hockey Prospect Radio, brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting. We are continuing to talk about the 2024 NHL draft with Jason Buchla, Brad, and myself. Books. I want your thoughts on Anton Selyev. You know, I, I think back of last year's draft and the discussion about the Russians and the Russian factor, and I said... I don't think it should matter. You take the talent because you have to look at four years down the road, maybe five, depending on the player. I mean, he could come a little bit sooner, but how often can you find a, a defenseman who's six, seven, 200 pounds, has mobility, has hockey sense and can, you know, move the puck intelligently. Well, that's, you know, good luck with that, right? Like that's, a, it might be once every 10 years. So from your perspective, what do you think of the player? And, you know, where do you currently have have him in terms of your overall list? Because every team is just dying for guys who can play like this and play in your top three.
7: Yeah, he's going to be a top five pick, top six pick, I believe, for sure. Um, I mean, it's gonna, you know, some teams are gonna flip flop. Part of the reason is gonna be because of the Russian factor, as you just pointed out. But let's just talk about the player himself. Like imagine he's playing for the uh Medicine at Tigers this year. Just imagine this. This guy's a freak of nature. Like he literally is a freak of nature. He's he's a giant. His agility, mobility, his skating stride for somebody that big is it's elite. Like there's no other way to put it. Like this kid's an elite skater. So um, you know, obviously it takes less time for him to get from A to B defensively to take away time and space, even if he's not leaning on somebody, his reach, his uh, his uh his wingspan, if you will, like this just is a giant. When he gets over here to play in North America, it's even going to be more pronounced, isn't it? Because of less ice to cover, so um, he's uh, responsible with the puck. I don't. He had some offense to him at the beginning of the year; that's fallen off. I don't really care if he gives me offense. That's a bonus. This is a matchup guy. Imagine he played with somebody like uh, a Quinn Hughes, for example. You know, and you know, you think of guys like Zadorov that the Vancouver Canucks picked up, big, big Russian giant. This guy is not physical like that twice a skater if you can believe it and he's way way better with the puck his efficiency with the puck moving the puck making the right play uh, i would say 99 of the time is is fantastic and he plays at a high level already we'll see about the russian factor you're right that four-year window you know with that overseas draft you know european kids four years um you know i, I i'm not shy about it he's the best player in the slot uh, I would definitely uh if he's my guy in that I'm, I'm drafting him and I'm uh, I'm gonna see where it goes I think he's going to be over here
3: one one question I have for you about him Jason I totally agree with you I, I think he's one of the most projectable shutdown defensemen I've literally ever scouted do you have you ever seen a 17 year old defenseman ever more assertive than him in a pro league let alone the KHL I I haven't it's unbelievable
7: yeah, no, like it's he's got he's got real good hockey sense, spatial awareness. Like when he does things, like he'll close on a guy and then he's already forward thinking. As it, like, I want people who's listening to this as a defensive defenseman, there's some guys that are hammers that are defensive defenseman. They'll close on their opponent, and then there's a pause in, what do I do next? Like, where do I belong type thing? This kid's the exact opposite. So, like, on the penalty kill, if he tracks up the wall and he forces them to try and make a play, and they go low to high, he'll follow it out trying to create a turnover, but then he's so quick to recognize, i got to get back somewhere else and defend, and his skating allows him to do that. He's assertive. He's smart. He's big. He's long. I mean, honestly, if he was playing in North America – Uh, I think he'd probably be the third overall, no doubt, but we'll see where it goes. Let's talk about
2: Zane Perik. It's such an interesting – he's such an interesting player. It's too bad he isn't a little bit taller. Because, you know, you talk about that six-foot defenseman, you know, who is around 195, 200 pounds, but then you look at that offensive capability and you go, well, you know, what do you – like, you're trying to balance all this offensive talent with – where, where does he fit in the NHL? Is he just strictly that power play specialist offensive dynamo, or is there enough tools in there when he's 23 that he's going to fit in the play in a, dump, a bunch of situations for a coach?
7: Yeah, it's going to be situational. It might be a slow burn because he's going to be such a high draft. It's going to depend on where that team is in their evolution, if you will. You know, if he gets if he gets into a retooling team rebuilding team, it's gonna take him a little bit longer for his identity to uh, impact the game um consistently just because of his surrounding, if you will. you understand like he's gonna if he's if he's surrounded by a little bit more veteran presence, he's gonna be better off. I'll put it to you that way. but listen guys, this kid is an elite offensive player like he he's got an elite. I have no issues with his size. um he's an area defender. He's plenty smart. He'll jump the plays to to kill plays defensively. Eight times out of ten, definitely ahead of uh, an opponent. The other two times, he's going to have to battle, and that's where sometimes if the physical element comes into it, he's going to be at a at a you know a disadvantage. But offensively, power play quarterback, probably first unit power play quarterback. Uh, understated shot, uh, really driven, really competitive. Um, you know, like. I don't know. He, he's a new breed defenseman. That's uh, there's room for these guys in the league, uh, but make no mistake. Make no mistake. His element is obviously offense. As I trip over
3: consider, <laughs> Sorry. Oh, would you consider him uh, one of the more polarizing players in the draft? I feel like one scout I'll talk to thinks top ten, another scout I talk to thinks no. N- they don't want anything to him. Where where, where do you see it? Do you feel? Yeah. Do you no, feel he's no. polarizing?
7: No, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, there might have been a time I, I felt like that, but uh at this stage, no. I, I feel like I identify his strengths. His strengths definitely trump his weaknesses, and I don't think that his weaknesses are so far concerning that uh that they're gonna be uh hurting my NHL roster. So I'm uh I'm good, Will.
2: Now I'm really interested to get your thoughts. And I know you know we sat together at the top prospects game, but I want to hear what you think about Carter Yakmachuk because he was a player that I think really benefited benefited from the time off of COVID. It's just opportunity for him to become a better skater, more athletic um, needed to train uh, because he was growing into his body. You know, those big guys, when they, they get a growth spurt, there's some awkwardness in it. Uh, how do you think he's played out from you know the beginning of this season now, especially, you know, moving towards the draft?
7: Well, oh, he's, No doubt one of the biggest risers in this draft class. You know, even at the – listen, the prospects game can be a trap. We all know that. You can't – you know, some great players have not had good games and then other kids have had, you know, uh, exceptional games and they're kind of in the middle of the draft. So you have to put it in perspective. He was awesome that night at the CHL top prospects game. For me, he was the best player on the ice. Um, You just hit it right on the head. He has a couple things going for him, his birth date, and then the fact that uh, during the year off he's clearly put in the work. Um, so here you got a, a big rangey right shot D like how valuable are these guys when they arrive at the NHL, people are jumping over themselves to get these guys, um, at worst secondary offense, uh, potentially better than that size range, great skater, crafty with the plot. Holy jumping. This kid makes plays despite his length, if you will, with his size, like off the roster, even on the offensive blue line, he'll spin off a guy or he'll bring a check close to his body. And he'll make a play in tight, if you know what I mean, like close to his skates and stuff. And that's hard to do when you're six foot three and you're playing with probably the longest stick that you can play with. So um I like this kid a lot. I think that he's got a ton of upside. He's a guy to keep an eye on. Don't be surprised to see uh him go a lot higher than where he's ranked right now, uh universally on draft ranking boards, uh, with all of our colleagues.
3: Uh one of my stylistic comparisons for him is a larger. Shoot first version of Denton Medichuk. Would you agree or disagree? You see some similarities there.
7: Yeah, I mean that's a good one. Um, you know, he's he's yeah. I would say shoot first. I can't really think of a comparison. Like uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think a right shot comparison here. Uh, what's his name? Who's playing in um, in uh, Chicago right now? From Seattle, there. The defenseman play for team. Canada. So yeah. Korchinski. Yeah. Right shot Korczynski, uh, but more elusive. Like Korczynski's got kind of an unusual stride, he gets everywhere he's got to go. But uh, this guy's upside is uh, is similar uh, but better, I believe, than than even Korchinski.
2: It's interesting to see, and we talked about this before, in the beginning of the season of how many defensemen were going to late hard charge after Christmas and how that was going to impact the final boards. And then we're starting to see that is that's what everybody. When I talk to people and I go, oh, what's on the boards here? I'm like, hey, look, until it's after Christmas and the defense start, like, really, you know, coming down the the, the train, the freight train, you know, I don't know what it's going to look like. So, and I think he's one of them. I mean, the defense we've talked about, all three of them are going to charge late. And I think it's going to impact where people really have them. And sometimes we forget until we get into the play, until the NHL playoffs hit how valuable defensemen are. So, you know. They're going to go up the list, whether we want them to or not. So, Jason, once again, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate the insight, and uh, we should probably take off. Take a break and stay tuned for Hour 2. We'll be back right after this.
4: Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But altogether, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat
0: Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
2: This is Hour 2, and we're back on Hockey Prospect Radio, powered by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. Um speak with Mike McMahon, college hockey insider, senior writer for the College Hockey News. So, Mike, it's interesting that in our previous discussion, we did a couple segments on the impending uh, probability of the CHL players becoming eligible to play in the NCAA. And I know both you and I have had discussions after the fact with different stakeholders, whether it be in college hockey or the NHL family advisors or the CHL or the USHL or, you know, other entities that are involved in college hockey. And what I find really interesting is, is the people that say, no, this isn't going to happen. I'm not sure if they've been entirely been paying attention to how this, how the NCAA operates. And let's go back to what happened when, you know, the, the ruling of the judge about uh, like unlimited transferability, from from one from one university to another so let's, let's 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 go back and talk about that from your perspective
1: well and that's the thing that i went back to immediately was you know they instituted the one-time transfer waiver a little over a year ago whatever almost two years ago now where players could transfer once without sitting uh that got challenged legally in in the courts by players who said well no wait a minute we want to transfer an unlimited number of times we don't want it just to just that but we want to be able to transfer whenever we want uh, that we don't want the one-time transfer waiver. We want to be able to transfer whenever we want to. It was upheld. It was you know ruled in favor of the players. In uh, the NCAA, literally the same day, released uh, a memo where they they said that they were basically getting rid of their transfer rules and players could transfer whenever they want.
2: It went from a, <laughs> a, a, t- a 10 a.m. ruling by the judge within the same day. Within, within after after two p two p.m East like Eastern Standard Time NCAA yeah. rules that oh no now it's unlimited like it, a it span been... of four hours they weren't even going to like debate it and they weren't nope. even going to appeal it
1: and and that's to me I, I think the NCAA and what people are not not taking into account with this is the legal vulnerability, and and I think that's why this whole thing got brought up to begin with. When an NCAA representative went on a conference call with the coaches weeks ago, months ago, whatever it was, uh, and said we want to get your feedback on potentially making this rule, it was done because the NCAA knows that they are vulnerable from a legal standpoint. It has it has nothing to do with the NCAA. Like an NCAA representative has no idea what the CHL even is, more than likely up until recently, but started to go through some of these rules and and found a what they would determine to be a vulnerability legally, that if it was ever challenged in the court, they don't think they've got a very good case, which is why they're discussing changing the rule. It's to get out ahead of getting sued about it because they've lost every lawsuit uh, you know, pretty much the, the, pretty much ever. <laughs> uh, so I, that's why this whole thing is coming to the forefront now. Uh, it, it's because of legal issues. It's because of the fact that they know if there was ever a challenge in the court, they probably don't stand a chance in having it upheld. I think
2: in the future... Maybe this transpires, you know, in in maybe two years from now or three years from now, whenever, you know, it gets the green light and CHL players are eligible to play in the NCAA. We should just call it the Swankler rule, because I think Austin Swankler's eligibility to go play in Bowling Green set the was the final nail in the coffin of precedent of legal precedent that the NCAA looked at and said, okay, now we we have nothing left to stand on in terms of from this standpoint. So we just need to take care of it because if you go to a judge, you're just going to point to that. Here's the last nail in the coffin. And I don't know how they're going to get out of it from that standpoint. So that's one factor. The other one I'm really interested to get your thoughts on, you wrote about it in your College Hockey Insider, read Mike's Substack. it's great, is the National Labor Relations Board for the Boston Regional Office um, ruled in favor of Dartmouth Dartmouth athletes looking to unionize and now this is spreading beyond the basketball team to potentially not just the other athletes at Dartmouth University but also across the entire Ivy League is for all of them to unionize now if that starts to spread not just in the Ivy League but if it's successful in the Ivy League other university students are going to look at it and go okay we'll just we'll follow, follow up those guys find out exactly what their template is and we'll carbon copy it And it'll just jump from one, you know, conference to another, like wildfire. Is this the next, you know, precedent, you know, to really put the nail in the coffin of CHL players just being given carte blanche of eligibility into NCAA?
1: I think it's related. Yeah, because ultimately what they're what they were looking for is to be classified as employees, employees of the university. And that's why
2: CHL players weren't allowed to play NCAA because they were deemed employees and not student athletes
1: and there was yeah the compensation component and you know so i think it's related for sure you know this could have big effects and beyond just from a chl standpoint i have concerns about what it's going to do to uh, the 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 schools that may just decide to drop programs both hockey programs and beyond because they may not be willing to professionalize their their model if that makes sense right and to treat athletes as employees and i i think it it could have a big domino effect, but from just relating it to from the CHL standpoint. Yeah. I mean, I think it is, it is one more thing that could connect the dots. And again, if you're ever challenged, if this were ever challenged in the court by a CHL player or a group of CHL players who could then, you know, you know, look at the same thing and say, Hey, these guys are now, these NCAA athletes are now considered literally employees of their school. How are we ineligible? Uh, It would just break down another barrier. You know, I think, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. It's happened before that this has been challenged. I think it was 2020, it was either 2020 or 2021, uh, Northwestern football athletes tried to do the exact same thing. It was upheld by a regional office of the National Labor Relations Board, uh, and then it was uh, struck down by the, the head office the National Labor Relations Board. So uh, we'll, we'll see where this goes. A lot has changed in the last two years in terms of the NCAA model and how whether or not well, these, these players are still considered amateurs or not. So uh, there's a process. But, I mean, it's moving along, too. Those Dartmouth basketball players are, are going to vote. Uh, I think it's March 5th on whether or not they want to join uh, a specific union. I, I I forget exactly which union it was, but there was there was a union that already re- represents some of the employees on their campus uh, that they're having an election on whether or not they're going to join that union on March 5th. So it's right around the corner.
2: Well, you know, what makes it interesting in that respect is how much do you think name, image likeness, that court case, and that ruling for the players, how much did that open the Pandora's box for all these other things to have
1: greater level of legitimacy it was uh, that's what opened the entire can of worms yeah because uh, now you've got nil money and you've got alston money which uh, is almost like a revenue sharing type thing it's that was really the 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 big thing that kind of opened all this because now you know I, I, you got to look at it from a legal standpoint and say okay if you're if you're a CHL player, you know, that maybe, yeah, maybe you're getting a small stipend or maybe you're getting this, or maybe you're playing with a, a contract and NHL player, but you're not contracted to, to a national hockey league right. team. You know, you're making, you know, in stipends, you're pulling in whatever you're pulling in 1500 bucks a year. That guy's not eligible to play college hockey, but the guy on a football team who has a $1 million NIL deal that does from a shoe company or something like that, he is. Like it just doesn't make a lot of sense, and that's where I, I think a lot of this leads back to is that original ru- ruling where you went from NCAA players not being able to be compensated at all, like they couldn't even do autograph signings where where they advertised their own name behind it. They couldn't, you know, a hockey player couldn't hold a summer camp where he attached his name to it. He didn't own his own name. Uh Once that w- was was blown up, and they could start actually. Uh, receiving compensation for their name, image, and likeness. And potentially, I mean, the president of the NCAA is even going as far as saying they may create a new tier of Division One where they just flat out pay the players a salary. I mean, he, he talked about that a month ago. Uh, you know, as a potential look into the future of what Division One athletics will look like, it all stems from the compensation piece. And and I think now it's hard, and it's going to be And again, I'm not a lawyer, but I've talked to some that are. Uh, who feel like it's legally going to be very difficult for the NCAA to go into a courtroom and uh, hold up the fact that they are deeming CHL players ineligible because of certain compensation pieces when NCAA athletes are now being compensated, Uh, maybe in a different way, but they're still being compensated.
2: One of the other factors I always found really interesting, it was a conversation I had every time the world juniors comes around and I'm at the world juniors and end up talking to, to people from USA hockey and I said, "Okay, let me get this straight. I want I want sure I want to make sure I understand this correctly. So, the CHL players are ineligible because they're getting a, receiving a stipend, or they're playing with pro pro players that have signed a pro contract, or you know, against players that are signed a pro contract." And I said, "You know, because you can have a CHL team with nobody drafted. It's possible right? nobody yeah. signed, but then you're playing against them, so that's also makes you ineligible." All right, so why aren't every one of these players on Team USA ineligible now? Well, shouldn't they lo- all lose their scholarships? Oh, but that's different. It is in what way? Oh, because we're playing the international. That doesn't – why is that different in the eyes of the law? you either playing yeah. against pro players or you're not playing against pro players. Which one is it? I mean, right, they you,
1: took place the World Championships. <clears throat> Kurt Gauthier played against NHL players last year at the World right. Championships. Like... <laughs> Didn't lose the scholarship. Right? So it's – it's very hard. I think it, and again, I, I'm not going to pretend to be an attorney here, but speaking to, to people who have studied this and who are attorneys and or are, are sports, especially in sports law, uh, nobody that I've talked to seems to think that the NCAA would be able to win a court case or to win a lawsuit if they were ever challenged, uh, which is really what this boils down to, I think. And I... even if it's not changed immediately because the coaches don't want it or whatever which Um,
2: generally don't have like they don't have a full control of like rubber stamping this they just get their opinion
1: yeah and and i I think that that's where my thing would be okay even if it doesn't happen maybe immediately because there's not unanimous support for it all it takes is one lawsuit yeah that's all that's all it's gonna take and uh i I feel like that will eventually happen at some point probably in the near future
2: and they'll want to avoid it so we're gonna take a short break in hockey prospect radio stay tuned we'll be right back after this
4: every play every stat every breakdown on their own they're essential but all together they're undeniable introducing huddle instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com hpr to learn more.
0: You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
2: We're back on Hockey Prospect Radio with Mike McMahon from the College Hockey News and College Hockey Insider. Read his sub stack. I want to ask you about some drafted players in college hockey. First off is the continued development of Red Savage. Interesting player in the respect that, you know, went through – U.S. national team um, kind of like flew under the radar because there was a lot of top end players there. Went to Ohio um, for two years, and now is at Michigan State. And you know his numbers haven't been great, but his overall game is reliable. So, like, I guess the concern is like for you know, Detroit Red Wings, so on his rights or any other team looking at him is does he have enough offensive instincts and? you know, I guess offensive ability to play in a third line in the NHL or is he going to be on the fourth line, but a really reliable player off the puck in that respect in terms of energy and, you know, willingness and battle and enough hockey sense and skating ability to play the NHL level on the fourth line.
1: Yeah, that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, I think his his offensive numbers have ticked up a little bit this year at Michigan State. He started at Miami, transferred to Michigan State this year. It's a good Michigan State team too, so he's definitely surrounded by some better players at Michigan State than he was yeah. at, at Miami. Uh, but he's been an important part of of their turnaround this year. Michigan State right now is one of the top five teams in the country, uh, almost guaranteed to make the NCAA tournament. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how well his game will translate right away to, in that third, fourth, in that fourth line role. Um, but I think the offensive ability is starting to come around. He, he strikes me as a guy that is a little bit more of a, of a late bloomer. Uh, and, and sometimes it happens with guys, right. Where like they, they kind of emerge as a 22, 23 year old, as opposed to a 20 year old.
2: Right. You know, and he just, he, and he's only 20 years old. He doesn't turn 21 until May. So, and he's a guy that, you know, whether, you know, the Red Wings sign him at the end of the year, if they do, then he goes off and he'll go play in Grand Rapids. Or does he, you know, do a fourth year at Michigan State and become a free agent from that standpoint? So that's that's interesting to see from that standpoint. When, I, especially when I saw him like in international competition, like at U18s or or twice the U20. So you know, the Americans brought him in twice um, to play because you know, both coaches had said to me, he was like, he's so reliable and he's such a Swiss army now. If we can put him with a whole bunch of players and he'll just take care of the the greasy, dirty things that a lot of other players just don't take care of. And we just need to have that on one, like on a line where we can just rely on somebody to block shots or take hits to make plays or dig pucks out or forecheck like a madman, right? Like just sort of the things that coaches look for away from the puck that you know matter. From that standpoint, and that's where I think maybe his value lies, and that's that's where I just I'm like you, I'm unsure about that offensive potential once that turns pro, but we'll see. Uh, another player I want to ask you about, and I think he is the greatest name in hockey, and I hope he makes the NHL, is Gunnar Wolf Fontaine, a draft pick from the Nashville Predators at Northeastern University, and, he, and he's in his, his senior year. You know, came through the Chicago Steel for a couple of years, and when we talk about development long-term development this is what i really mean this is a guy who's going to turn 24 in september like when we talk about chl players coming in the ncaa there is a perfect example of that of like a freshman coming in at 20 and graduating at 23 or 24 um thoughts about what he's done this year with northeastern because he's another guy who because he's a late bloomer you know and he's not the biggest guy but might find a way to like get those cups of coffees in the NHL, you know, just find a way to will himself into an NHL lineup every once in a while.
1: Yeah. Really high compete player. That That's what I, I think it starts is that high motor. Uh, obviously he's had a, a knack for scoring some big goals, scored the game winner in the bean pot this past week for right. Northeastern and yep. overtime. Uh, he's done that a couple times with, with some of these overtime winners, but just a really highly comp- competitive kid who, Which just works real hard. I mean that, and that's it's kind of the same thing with Savage, right? Like that's the thing that may get him some cups of coffee Uh, in the NHL. It might be what gets him some some playing time, you know, in a in a fourth line role because he's just gonna he's gonna go out there and do whatever whatever you need him to do. Uh, And he's a really highly competitive kid who skates well and he's quick and he's fast. So it's not like he's gonna be a step behind the play. I think he can carve a rollout for himself at the pro level because of that. Like some guys just are missing that piece. They can score goals, but they can't do anything else. He's not that type of player. He he can kind of do a little bit of everything, Uh, and I could I could see him developing into a role like that where he becomes, you know, kind of that that four utility player, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, Yeah.
2: and a guy that everybody like cheers for as well because he like he's five foot nine, but he doesn't think he's five foot nine. No, you know, and he doesn't care, right? So there's like there's a there's will is a skill, and I think he's gonna Mm -hmm. will himself into those situations where he's going to get opportunities potentially at the NHL level. And you look at him and go, God, I wish he was six foot tall, right. Or six foot one. Cause he's just, you know, obviously more projectable in a lot of different areas, but sometimes guys just find a way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's guys like coaches, like John Tortorella will go, geez, it's hard not to have him in the lineup. Cause he's just like, you love the spark he brings and what, how that translates to the rest of the team from that standpoint. So, you know, for me, I think that's, he's a really interesting player to watch going in. Um, And he's going to be 24 He's very, very mature, right? He's not a 20 year old kid coming into the American hockey league. You don't have to worry about him. Like he can take care of himself. He'll, you know, he'll be a pro immediately. So it's low maintenance. That's another factor. You know, when you have low maintenance players who are like high energy, that makes a difference too as well. So I'm, I'm crossing my fingers. I'm, you know, I'm gunning for him. No pun intended. (laughs)
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, he's been he's been a big part of Northeastern's turnaround too. They they've turned yeah. it on here in the last couple of weeks, and he's been a big reason why.
2: Hundred percent. Let's talk about Scott Morrow. Now he was going into the draft one of the interesting player, most interesting player that was on my list because um, I fully admitted I have a really hard time like scouting high school players because I don't see it very often. So I have a, like trying to gauge where they would fit within their peer group it's harder for me to figure that out. And I mean, obviously he had he has offensive talent, like he, it's, a, it's excellent in that respect thoughts on this third year at UMass. And you think his game is rounded out a little bit more in terms of just being that high school kid that came into the NCAA like gangbusters and just took it over in terms of offensive ability. Has he rounded out his game enough where you feel comfortable when he does turn pro that, it's gonna be an easier transition for him as well.
1: I think so. Yeah. And that's been the biggest thing for him over the last couple of years, because his first year it was it was offense. Offense, offense, offense. And yeah. you know, UMass was at a point where they, they needed that from him. Him and Ryan Ufko, who they were playing together yep. at one point. Now they've been split apart and they're not necessarily deep partners anymore. Uh, but they were kind of leading the charge offensively and needed to, uh, that that first year. The last couple, you know, this past year and definitely this year. Uh, he's definitely become more of a two-way defenseman, which is obviously going to help him at the next level. Uh, there's a lot of projectable things there with him: his size, skating ability. But I think his his play off the puck has improved to a point where you know it's much it's much more it's easier to look at him and, and kind of see what that NHL role is going to be. Whereas his freshman year, it was so. Heavy on the offense, and and not that he struggled off the puck, but it definitely wasn't his strength. Now it feels like, uh, you know, he's a much better two way defenseman now than he was two years ago. Yeah,
2: certainly. You talked about his size; he's six two, he's close to two hundred pounds. He's a right handed shot, and how many like NHL teams are screaming for like right handed shot, particularly guys who like he'll have the capability of running a power play. Now, oh, yeah. whether whether it's a first unit or a second unit, that's to be determined. But it was really about okay, what's this off puck play, and then can he? defend and have him in a top four role like a second second pairing d because if you can't then he's a specialized player right and that's you know you want to have greater value in terms of that and the other thing you know sometimes you know we don't realize is he's a late birthday and so by the time he hits november he's going to be 22 so also not a 20 year old kid that's coming into the american hockey league i mean that time frame is spreading out because i think like he went into umass and i think he was like he was 19 and then turned, right. So, I mean, that was, that's a big difference. And we talk about that, you know, the 19 year olds, 20 year olds coming in as freshmen and how they have an advantage once they turn pro comparative to say some kid who leaves at, you know, leaves at 20 to go play pro in college hockey. So that's why I like seeing this, the journeys with the college hockey players that are drafted and how that developmental cycle sort of changes from that standpoint. So for me, it's, it's a really fascinating development from that standpoint. But once again, Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate the insight. Um, Look forward to speaking to tech uh, next week. And we'll see how this whole NCAA CHL thing transpires and how much pushback we continue to get. Sounds good. Talk to you later, Mike. Take We'll uh, take a short break. We'll be back right after this.
4: Every play, every stat, every breakdown on their own, they're essential, but all together they're undeniable
0: Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are
2: back and powered by Power Player, hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. It's our regular segment with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach. Dr. Willis, thank you very much for coming on our show. We always appreciate
8: it. Glad to be here.
2: As we uh, continue through your book, Hockey Grit, Grind, and Mind, we're just finishing up chapter four, uh, which the title is purpose. The last topic is taking action. And, you know, from our previous segments that, you know, Brad and I, and you were talking about, um, taking action. I think everybody like, they understand the action part of it. However, like some of the things that, you know, interest me and I'm always concerned about is like, you know, there's being productive and there's just like doing stuff. Um, you talk a little yeah, bit about yeah, like you know yeah. action versus production, right? And obviously, you want to take action, but it has to be productive in terms of like you know de- we talk about you know in player development or in scouting dedicated practice and and focused practice and uh, you know when you're doing your work, you get hyper focused and you, you you accomplish a tremendous amount of of work in a short period of time because you're you know you're either in some sort of flow state um, or you know in the zone as some other people call it. Um, You know, give us a little background when you have these discussions with your, you know, with your hockey players and your clients about, you know, purpose and then taking action.
8: I think um, the emphasis that I try to make with my guys is that sort of going through the whole goal setting process to me is super important, right? You got to know where you're going. If you don't know where you're going, how do you know if you're on the right path? How do you know if you're going to get there, right? But the problem with it is that because it feels like work, right, setting these goals, deciding what my my tasks and my mission is going to be, it feels like work. And so when you're done doing all of that, you feel like you're done, but you haven't started anything, right? All you've done is created a plan. And that's where I lose guys. They feel like, oh, no, I did that. Yeah, no, I have goals. No, I did that but then it comes up, well, what are you, what are you working on right now? What, what is that task that you're, you know, and Oh no. Well, yeah. So that, that we're, I'm going to start on that. I'm going to start working on that. And so there's this weird disconnect. I always use the example of, you know, sometimes when you buy a book, right, you buy a book on a topic that you love and Now I have this book and I can read this book anytime I want. So it goes on the shelf. And, you know, a year later, you've never read the book. Why? Well, because I have the book. I can read the book. So I'll just read it when I read it. But that's not going to work. If you want to move up in this game, if you want to be the best, if you want to outshine others, then you better be doing the work. And that's why I think taking action is so, so important. And I always like to sort of point to guys like, you know, Connor McDavid and his, regimen coming home from school, you know, he would set up cones in his driveway and he would do all these drills every single day, you know, regardless, he, he, he could be sick and he would do it. He, it could be raining. He would do it. It didn't matter. He was going to do that. And his day wasn't over until he did that. And that was just one of his goals. And now, you know, he's special in, in what he's been able to accomplish. And so you're going to say, well, is that why? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but it sure can't hurt. And my whole point is that if you're going to set goals, that's great. I'm really proud of you, but you better get to work and you better know what I should be working on right now so I can move closer to those goals.
3: Kevin, just to, to speak to goal drilling, do you feel that um, there's there's an aspect to it where if you do too much of it, then it's the law of diminishing returns where you got you got to do it correctly and you got to do it in a way where uh, you don't over- um, Overuse your resources in terms of just doing doing drills that uh, give you the muscle memory to to create and execute the skill. You feel that there is there is an yeah. aspect of that.
8: Yeah, well, I, I think creativity is my favorite. Now, I, I got to say, you know, years ago, coaches were not really fans of of guys being pre- creative in practice. Right, you do the drill like I wrote it out, and I that's it. And in the games, you do what I want you to do, and that's it. But now I think the game is is so fast and it's so skilled that this creativity, I think, is really important. And so to get to your point about, you know, sort of just drilling these these skills into the ground. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that um, if you're not able to sort of look at the reason that you're doing the drill, right? So I'm I'm going in the corner, I'm battling, I'm turning, I'm hitting the guy coming into the slot, whatever. Okay, so... I can do that. I can do it over and over and over again, but you and I both know that when it comes to hockey, that everybody else has a different agenda. And so that, that battle, that guy coming down the slot, the defender, um, that's not exactly the way it was in the, in the, uh, in the drill. So I have better be able to understand the point of that um, as well, because that gives me time on my own to work on those skills and to get better, because at the end of the day, it's not about telling kids how, to practice, it's telling kids how to play, right? So that you can think and you can execute. Um, and the coaches can't do that for these guys on the ice.
2: We're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. I'm Shane Malloy with Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com. Brought to you by the Power Player Hockey Player Development Software at thePowerPlayer.com. We're chatting with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach about his book, Hockey Grit, Grind and Mind, as we go through chapter four, which is titled Purpose. And the topic in this segment is taking action. Dr. Willis, one of the things about in terms of like taking action and and you had mentioned it and Brad had mentioned it too, as well is like, how do you discuss with your clients about the mental, emotional fatigue once you start taking action? And you understand that, you know, there's a certain level of repetitiveness that has to happen, but you should, you know, induce some level of creativity to keep that um, fresh and new and interesting and to fire, on, fire off a bunch of different neurons. And um, that's always, you know, critical for, for, you know, mental growth. But from that emotional standpoint of just like, you're feeling like you're burning out, you're taking action, but like, you had that discussion, okay? You are going to take action, but here are some of the steps that you're going to have to take in terms of like to ensure that you maintain a level of, you know, mental, emotional stability, and then have that active recovery that is necessary so that you can feel rejuvenated and go right back into it again.
8: Yeah. Well, that's now you're talking about that recovery piece and oh my gosh, you know, it's it's never too early to learn that. But kids, they have so much energy that they would go and go and go and go. And I don't worry so much about them sort of losing that passion. But as you start moving up the ranks, you're getting into these elite leagues. You're 14, 15, 16 years old, playing at a high level. Every single player on the ice is good. You're stressed out because you can't afford to make a mistake. You can't afford to to do anything to, you know, sort of look bad in the coach's eyes. And so now all of a sudden that mental pressure is, is ramped up really, really high. And we forget that the mental pressure is a energy that's burning in you know the the bodies of these young athletes, and so just like they're skating and passing and shooting and exerting all of this physical energy, that mental energy that they're burning um, is is extremely high, and it can take away from their overall fitness. Right, and you see it all the time it, it, as the pressure goes up from a, a, a mental standpoint. The the fatigue also goes up and it's, it's one of the reasons why you see, you know, some teams sort of, you know, fading out later in the games, not so much because they're not physically fit, but because they aren't mentally fit.
3: Kevin, do you feel that one of the best ways to reduce burnout rate is to, is I, I hate to use the cliche but is to remind yourself that you, you need to go out there and have fun. I know it's for professional players. It's, it's a very fine balance between results uh, performance results and then just having a good time time on the ice but do you feel that it's it there the ability to have fun allows a drawback uh mechanism within the mind so you can start looking at the bubble again and say okay hang on i'm i'm putting way too much pressure on myself i'm collapsing under my own pressure
8: yeah yeah and i think fun is so important i i love the word fun but sometimes you know i think coaches or even really driven teammates sort of take that as a turnoff we're not here to have fun we're here to win right we're here to to win the championship or to get better or whatever and so i I, i'm careful not to use fun but i think passion you you can be intense with passion right you can you can be willing to win ugly with passion and so i love that word passion is is that if you aren't you know if you wouldn't do if if this is something that you wouldn't do if everybody left the arena there's nobody around nobody watching you then i wonder how much you really really love this right if 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 on the other hand you know you do this regardless if anybody said anything nice about you if any, any compliments came your way but you would still be doing this then i know that you are really really passionate about it and so when you're passionate you don't i don't worry about burnout i don't because it's it's a it's a managed flame but if you're doing it because mom or dad or your coach or your uncle Bob or, or whatever thinks, oh, my gosh, you're really, really good. You've been good since you were nine, and now you're 14. And, man, you're so good. You're so good. But the kid's sitting there going, I know, but this isn't fun anymore. Yeah, yeah. Houston, we got a problem.
2: Well, we're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio, but we'll be back right
4: after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown – On their own, they're essential, but altogether, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash hpr to learn more.
0: prospect news and analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
2: We are back and powered by Power Player, hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach, discussing his book, Hockey Grit, Grind and Mind. We are now on to Chapter 4, and the title of that is Purpose. Uh, the sub-topic uh, we want to speak about is self-image. And you know it's funny because both, Brad, uh, Kevin, both Brad and I were talking about, uh, you know, the detriment to, of social media in today's world, particularly when it comes to prospects and about the the vast amount of information that's poured upon these players, um, especially in the last five years, and the access to information about you as an individual and how that can particularly impact your personal self-image. And because you're, you know, a young person, you know, maybe, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, up until 20, no, you know, your brain hasn't finished developing yet. You know, you're not quite, you know, Uh, an adult in in many cases. So handling those type, uh, that type of, you know, reactions from other people that you don't know. Um, Talk about the conversations you have with your clients in terms of self image, um, especially when it comes around with social media, because many of the young kids now, their self image is based on what happens in their social media feeds.
8: Yeah. And it's so tough. And, you know, it, it, it it seems like a a perfect storm uh, of, of, of bad connections. And that is that young people, and I say young people, I am talking kids, you know, all the way up to 21, 22, 23, because that's, that's as the brain is maturing. Right. But so imagine you're in that 13, 14, 15 age, you're, you're starting to go through the puberty and all that kind of stuff here, here, here's your brain at a point where you're, you're, your limbic system the more emotional side of your brain is developing really pretty fast right but the 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 frontal part that frontal lobe that prefrontal cortex the the thinking the reasoning part of your brain is is just sort of chugging along it's coming on slow but man it is not anywhere caught up to the emotional side of the brain so here we've got a situation that i'm pretty much emotional right And I'm reading all these comments and I can read a good one and a good one and a good one. And all of a sudden there's a bad one and all the good ones are gone. Right. I don't even I don't even remember reading them. It's all bad. It's all bad. Um, And I don't have that that maturity in my brain to be able to say, but that's come on. That's one out of ten. You know, relax. Um, it's, It's not there that that level of reasoning and maturity is not there and put that, you know, in context with sort of the way the brain develops in general. And that is that when you're young, um, being part of a, of a group, of a community being accepted is life or death. It really is. I mean, you know, you look at evolution coming all the way up as, you know, cavemen, if you got ousted from the tribe, you would die, right? So it's, it's, it is part of our evolutionary process to to need to be connected to community to need to be in the good graces of the people around us right and again it's not until that that more mature parts of our brain begin to develop that allow us to sort of understand that balance that needs to be and and these young people they don't have it. And then, you know, I'll touch on the idea of what these comments do. You know, these comments, they come in, they come in, they come in, and they're like little hits of dopamine, right? Ooh, that made me feel good. Ooh, that made me feel good. Ooh, that made me feel good. And all of a sudden, bam, you know, you get punched in the face with a a negative comment and you're just not mature enough to process it. And I don't say mature enough in a a derogatory way. I'm literally talking about the makeup of the brain of young people.
3: Kevin is the first step to, to maturation, the ability of a young teen to basically say, hang on, okay, this is a negative comment, but this person doesn't actually know who I am. And in order to say, I know who I am, you have to have some sort of idea. Again, it goes back to, it's always interconnected. It goes back to self-awareness. It goes back to having some sort of frame of reference as to how you identify yourself. So my point is the the maturation process really starts with self-identification and then allows you to basically separate yourself from that immediate validation from when you get a good tweet or a good like or a good somebody says something positive to you online uh, versus when somebody says something negative. Is, is it really that maturation process of saying this is how I identify this person doesn't know me therefore I don't need to follow what this person's saying and I'm not going to integrate it emotionally and it won't be as negative.
8: Yeah, well, because that emotional part of our brain is so fast, I mean like super fast, then it it grabs onto it and you begin to feel something before your your rational parts of your brain has a chance to say whoa whoa whoa, settle down, slow down, right? Let's think about what we're doing here. That's that's the first thing, but number 2 is that the the strength, the maturity, the the ability of that reasoning part of your brain to over know to counteract those feelings is minimized because it's just not grown up yet it's not all the way you know dialed in um so i think i think it's really as coaches and everybody we we need to sort of help them um learn how to think rationally and learn how to to recognize the impact of these comments right now as far as the awareness side of it again i think if you know, as kids learn that you are not your performance, you are not the comments that people are making about you, you're you, right? And you're allowed to, if you can, you know, just stop for a second and sort of step outside of yourself and look at it from the outside in, then my guess is you would be a better coach to yourself in those situations than if you are trapped inside of your body experiencing it. Uh, so I, I know that's it's, it's sort of con- confusing um, way of looking at it, but as soon as I can, I want kids to recognize that it's okay to screw up. You, you are not your mistakes, right? As a matter of fact, if you don't screw up, then you're not learning. Um, it's okay to to get negative comments because those are opportunities to learn. Right. Um, these are, these things are okay. They hurt, but they're, they're okay. And then as they get older and older and older, and they start to filter that stuff for one, they don't remember that they used to feel that way because you know, the way we mature, but number two is, um, I think as coaches, as, as mentors, you know, we need to help them through those really hard times. And, and it is, it's hard. I, you know, I didn't grow up with all that social media, but I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine going, growing up in, in today's world with the video and the social media and all that kind of stuff, man, I just don't think I would have made it.
2: You a couple of minutes left in the show. Uh, would you ever... I just recommend, um, you know, with younger players making their life a little bit smaller and like blocking out those noises and maybe not only having one social media feed. It was just a a comment that, you know, Connor McDavid had recommended to the players on the world junior team, you know, a couple of years ago. And I thought it just it made sense.
8: Yeah, well, you know, it's it's funny because you talk about somebody, you know, oh, so-and-so said something really nasty about me, and I'm so mad, I'm so upset, I'm just going to kill them and all that kind of stuff. Well, what if you didn't know they said that about you? What if you had no idea in the world they said that about you, right? Well, would you be upset? No, I wouldn't be upset because I didn't know, right? So it's not what they said that made you mad. It's how you responded to what they said that made you mad. So there's two things. One is learn how to process those emotions and those, you know, reasoning of, of the idea that somebody said something and I'm now trying to justify it or at least, you know, talk myself off the ledge. That's one way. Or number two is just like you said, don't pay attention to it. You know, sometimes things get better by, by pruning away some of the things that make it worse. And it's hard. It's hard when everybody else is doing it and doing all these channels and all that kind of stuff. But maybe, maybe, if we can get them to, like you said, one channel, grab a channel, if it's Instagram, if it's Facebook, if it's TikTok, whatever it is, right? I, I don't know where these kids are anymore, but grab one channel. And if you're okay in there, you know, practice these, these the reasoning skills that we're trying to teach you. Um, but then you sort of, you know, tame all these other channels. You, you don't need to know about everything. I know a lot of pros. They just don't read all the, the press. They just don't. It, it serves no purpose in their world. They're focused on being the best they can be and, press and, and and outsiders they need to justify their existence a lot of times they stir up you know a lot of controversy and a lot of negativeness and 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 because that gets all the press and so as a player uh, you're you're just better served to you know limit that as much as you can
2: well oh, understood and it's a conversation i have with pros and juniors and you know and teams in terms of what their policies are and they try to have a balance from that respect and it's a it's a huge challenge for the next generation and i'm i'm super happy that i didn't have to grow up with it as much as i love the information age i i don't know how well i would have handled that situation as well but once again uh kevin thank you very much for coming on the show we really appreciate it and we look forward to speaking to you next week
8: thanks boys had fun
2: that's dr kevin willis i want to thank our guests this week Uh, Dr. Kevin Willis for Brad Allen. I'm Shane Malloy. It's been another edition of Hockey Prospect Radio, and we will see you at the rink.
4: Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse huddle instats advanced tagging and next level stat reports help you develop your team and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film visit huddle.com backslash
5: hpr to learn more